uh, the rest of you, you can get your other versions of Bible. And uh, as a friend of mine used to call it, the analog version. This, and uh, open to the book of Romans chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. If you need a um, Bible just to borrow, feel free to borrow one of those. If you need a Bible to take with you because you don't have one that you can readily read and understand, feel free to take that one with you. It is our gift to you. Romans chapter 5. If you have one of those Bibles in the back, uh, we're on page 942, I believe is what it is. We are wrapping up today uh, the series called The Heart of the Gospel. We'll get to talk about Easter next week, how Jesus has not only died but also um, has come back from the dead. Uh, today we're going to wrap up um, this whole idea of the heart of the gospel, and we're going to look at these verses in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, as we've walked through, this is week 7 now of this series, as we've walked through this, what we've tried to do is distill the heart of the gospel down to a phrase that maybe you and I can hold on to, uh, maybe something that would, uh, you know, not only we could hold on to it, but it could hold on to us. And it goes something like this from Romans 3, 4, and 5, that the heart of the gospel is, is this, that through Jesus, uh, God has done for us what we never could have done for ourselves. Through Jesus, God has done for us what we never could have done for ourselves. It doesn't matter uh, how much we would have tried, how religious we would have been, how religious we would have grown up, or irreligious we would have grown up. It doesn't matter. And so I want to um, just lock that into our minds one more time as we talk about this. Uh, today, uh, we get to talk about the love of God, which is an incredible... Um, <laughs> Uh, inexhaustible uh, kind of um, uh, kind of topic, but today I want to use these uh, six verses here, verses six to eleven, to really anchor us into what kind of love we're talking about. When you and I say God is love and God loves you, what kind of love are we talking about? We're talking about here's the the, the, the briefest of answers. We're talking about the kind of love that through Jesus. God does for us what we never could have done for ourselves. That's, that's the short answer right there. But let these verses um, teach us a little bit. So in verse, uh, I'll read all the passage, verses 6 to 11, then we'll come back and kind of walk through it, okay? Um, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received um, reconciliation. So, what kind of love are we talking about? When we talk about the love of God, and here we are at Easter time, it's a good time to think about love and the love of God in particular. And as I said, the short answer is that through Jesus, the kind of love that we're talking about is that through Jesus, God has done for us what we never could have done for ourselves. Uh, let's, let's, let's try to expand that a little bit. And let's, let's start with verses 6 and 7 and the first part of verse 8. Um, and when I say this uh, phrase, I, I wish I would have come up with a better word, but I couldn't. It's a prior kind of love. When we talk about the, the love that God has for you and for me, it is a prior kind of love. I want you to notice a couple of things here in verse 6. It says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Skip down to verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So um, what we mean when we say there is a prior kind of love, it means before we... Um, 
uh, you know, kind of before we even entered on the scene, God as love, who is love, he was um, uh, initiating that relationship. He was moving toward us, and he was moving toward us in love. That, that's the answer to what kind of love is this. It's a prayer kind of love. Um, what we mean by that is, uh, number one, before we earned it by our actions, God was loving us. Don't miss that. Before we earned it by our actions, God was moving toward you in love. Before you could do anything good, before you could do anything bad, he was, he was moving toward you in love. And I just point these couple of things to, uh, point, out, point out these couple of things to you because it's, it's such a powerful testimony to his love. Here we go. For while we were still weak, verse 6, while we were still weak, that is that we were incapable of doing right before him. While we were still weak, we were just incapable of doing right. We, maybe we wanted to even. We just wanted to try. No, but, but we were incapable. We were still weak. Still, even in our weakness, even in our incapacity, God was choosing to love us. But it doesn't stop there. I mean, that would be enough, right? Hey, you can't do anything for me. God's up there. You can't do anything for me. I'm still going to set my love on you. But it's not just that. It's not just that we were incapable of doing right before him. We were also intent on doing wrong. That's what we were not only incapable of doing right, we were intent on doing wrong. That's why he says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for whom? Who, how does he describe us? Go ahead, somebody. Just say it out loud. The ungodly. Wait a minute. Am I weak or am I ungodly? The answer is, yes, you are. That's exactly right. Before you earned it by your actions, um, God had set his love and set his affection and chosen uh, to move towards you in love. Um, you were weak, incapable of earning it, and you were intent on doing wrong. So it's one thing for God to uh, be up here and look down and say, oh, I see that you're not I see that you're incapable. I'm still going to choose to love you. It's a whole different thing when God says, I see that you're intending to do wrong, and I'm still going to love you. That's a, that's a kind of love that is a powerful kind of love, and it's a love that is prior to you and me. The second part of this is that it's, it's before not only we earned it by our actions, but secondly, before we deserved it by our character. And I want to point out these four words. Two of them we've already touched on, but I don't want you to miss them. Verse 6, for while we were still weak, in other words, we had no capacity, we were incapable of doing right before God. Christ died for the ungodly. Now, weak, weak may take on a little bit of compassion, right? You may have some mercy on somebody who's weak, who's incapable of doing that while we were still weak. And then you start moving on to ungodly, and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait. All of a sudden, that funny taste starts getting in your mouth. Anybody ever thought that they were putting sugar on something and it was actually salt? You're like, oh, <laughs> that's the taste. That's the spiritual taste that starts welling up when, God, when uh, the Bible starts talking about you and me like that. Weak, we're like, yeah, God, we're weak. Help us out here. Ungodly, wait. He doesn't stop there, verse 8. But God shows his love for, some of you, some of you have demonstrates, God shows his love for us. And then while um, we were still, what's the word? What's our phrase? While we're still sinners. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Now we've gone from weak, incapable, to ungodly, bent, intending, if you will, away from him, to sinners. Intentionally drawing back the arrow and seeing the, the mark there and going, eh, and shooting at a completely different target. We've not only missed the right target, we've aimed at the wrong one. While we were weak, Jesus died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, and then there's one more, verse 10, uh, excuse me, yes, verse 10. For if while we were, what's our 
while we were enemies. While we were enemies. Ooh. I'm not only incapable, weak. I'm not only ungodly, intending uh, to do else uh, to, to do other than what God intended. Uh, I, I am not only um, a, a sinner, somebody who misses the mark. Now I'm an enemy. I have pledged my allegiance to the wrong team here. I, I have, I have gone. I am a. If I don't want to overstate this or sensationalize it, I have become a spiritual terrorist, using wickedness and evil to try to overcome good. That's that's what's happening. Enemies of God. Nothing, absolutely nothing attractive about us. Look back at verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. What he means by that, probably using it in a really technical, ethical uh, way, um, somebody who is to be worthy of respect. And so you just think about maybe your boss or somebody like that. You think about maybe specifically your boss. Let's just start there. Your boss, do you die for your boss? Scarcely. That's exactly what you, scarcely. Um, that's what he says. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. And he goes, though perhaps for a good person. Now good is, uh, again, in that ethical language, somebody who is kind of a moral uh, person, but also that you have this kind of warm and affectionate relationship with. <clears throat> Not a person that uh, you're supposed to respect. You would scarcely die for that person. But maybe, maybe you would die for someone who's good that you have this warm personal relationship with. Maybe uh, the, the easiest, um, it is, is a powerful um, statement of their care for one another is uh, the, the um, uh, people who serve in the armed forces who consistently risk their lives for the people who are next to them. They, they will, um, in fact, actually die. They will do the things that are heroic and, and, and powerful and, and, and deserve uh, honor and, and, and medals and all that kind of, they will do those things because of this warm relationship that they have with the people next to them. Scarcely for somebody they respect, maybe for somebody that they call good. And here's the deal. Here's the kicker. Why would Paul drop verse 7 in the middle of all this? Because we're not worthy of respect and we're not good. And still, still, God sends Jesus to die for you and for me. Scarcely for a righteous person, not righteous. Maybe for a good person, not good. There's no fondness, no warmness, no, no connection between me and God. I'm on the other side, right? I'm weak and I'm ungodly and I'm a sinner and I'm an enemy. And still God chooses to do this. Before we earned it by our actions and before we deserved it by our character, God does it. Um, what kind of love is that? It's a love that before you could do anything good, before you could prove yourself attractive, before you could do um, any of those things, God chose to love you. He freely took the initiative to love us. And if you're a parent in here, we had a little uh, baby uh, just saying amen just a second ago. Don't know if you heard that or not. Um, but if you're a parent in here, you, you, you know just a little bit about what this feels like. Uh, all, four, all four of ours, different, different experiences, every one of them, but all four of them, I can tell you the moment. Amen. I can tell you the moment with our firstborn, picked him up out of the nurse's arms. And before he earned it with his actions, and before I knew anything about his character, I set my love upon him. It is a prior kind of love. 
I freely chose to give love to him. Freely chose. I wasn't compelled. Uh, I wasn't, I freely chose to take the initiative to love him. In the same way, God freely chose to take the initiative to love us. And the difference is he knew our character. He knew our actions and he still chose to love you and me. And it's been that way since the beginning. This is Deuteronomy chapter 7. Um, here, uh, he's, Paul is, excuse me, uh, Moses is um, uh, talking to the people of Israel. And he says this, It was not because you were in, uh, more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you. In other words, hey, you weren't that impressive. All right? It was not. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that, God, uh, that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. In fact, you were the fewest of all peoples. There was nothing that warranted this. The Lord set his love on you and chose you. You were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. Why did he love them? Because he loved them. He freely chose to set his love and affection upon this people um, called Israel. Listen to me. And now that Jesus has come, he has freely chosen take, to take the initiative to set his love upon you and upon me. Not because of our actions. Not because of our character, but in fact, in spite of those two things. And this prior love that he has for you and for me is a place of tremendous security. Why? But because before, excuse me, because before I could do anything to earn it or anything to mess it up, God had already chosen to love me. So after the fact, there's nothing that I can do to earn it. And there's nothing that I can do to mess it up. That's a place of great security, a prior love. Uh, but it's not a, a love in word only. It's also a love in action that works the greatest good uh, for those that he loves. And so continuing on here in verse um, um, 8 and 9, <clears throat> one more time. But God shows his love, maybe demonstrates his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. As I said, it's not only a word only kind of love. It's if God's up here just talking, oh, I love you. Oh, I love you. No, no. He steps in and does something. He, because he's working for the greatest good of those that he loves, uh, the greatest need that you and I have is rescue. And so that's where we begin. We talk about a rescuing kind of love. And the, the important piece of that is our greatest need is rescue. The world's greatest need is rescue. It's, it's not whatever you may think it is. It's rescue. That's what we need. We need somebody to step in and rescue us. That's why he um, talks about this. What are you being rescued from? Well, from your sin, your sin nature, if you will. Yes. From your sins, the things you actually commit. Yes. From your character and from your actions. From your brokenness. Yes. From your indifference to your sin, your sins and your brokenness. Yes, absolutely. Uh, from the approval that we sometimes give to wickedness or the silence that we um, uh, uh, um, submit to when we should be speaking up. We need, and a and hundred other expressions of that, a hundred other expressions of our sinful nature, we need rescue from that. And so our greatest need is rescue, and God sees that, and he is working the greatest good uh, for you and for me. The question comes up, well, can't people just live there in their consequence and be miserable. I mean, can I just let that happen? You can let that happen. But here's the thing. Uh, it's not misery that we actually need saving from. In fact, misery 
we might use that to, to uh, make us indifferent towards those who are around us. We need saving from way more than misery. I'll just give you a brief example. Um, Friday, um, at, at one of the things our family does on Friday morning, uh, I've been talking to this guy pretty regularly uh, as, as, you know, kind of the, the months have rolled on here. And uh, we got to talking about Easter. You know, we're talking about here, culture of invitation. Are we going to be an inviting church? I'm, absolutely. I'm going I'm to lead the way on this. I'm talking to this guy. I said, hey, uh, you know, tell me about your plans over Easter. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Here's, oh, that sounds great. Is church going to be a part of that? Here's where he goes. Oh, no way. I said, really? He goes, no way. It literally turns away. I wasn't going to invite you, but okay, now I get it. I get it. Shoulder, I see. I see you. I see you. Uh, we'll con- two weeks from now, when we meet, we won't meet on Good Friday. Two weeks from now, we'll have another set of conversations. Just try to uh, explore that a little bit. Here's the thing, though. I could sit there and say, "Hey, listen, that's the path you want. You'll be miserable, but go on about it." it that misery. If I think that all that is at stake is misery, I could become indifferent to that. Listen to me. We don't need to be rescued from our misery. We need to be rescued from something far greater than that. Look at, look at verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him by what? Or excuse me, from what? The wrath of God. That's what we're talking about being saved from. That's what we're talking about being rescued from is the wrath of God. Well, I don't think I like talking about the wrath of God. We need to talk about the wrath of God. We need to understand that there is something in him that will not tolerate evil and wickedness forever. Well, I don't think I like that. Listen, you do like it because the things that are wrong in the world right now, God is going to come back and right. That would be a function of his wrath because his anger burns white hot against all the wickedness and, and, and uh, messed up nature of this. And that is a good thing for you and for me. That is a really good thing. God is not going to intolerate, is not going to be intolerant of ju- injustice forever. He will come back and he will make things right. And his wrath is not some uh, capricious or some fickle thing, some whim of his anger. It is this indignation, this white hot indignation against wickedness in the world that he created to be good. And let's just talk for a minute. I had this kind of stream of consciousness thing as I was thinking about the sermon, and this all kind of unfolded over about a uh, 24 hour period. Uh, you saw the news out of Syria uh, this week. Uh, even this morning, if you've already checked in with your news source, whatever it may be, um, a, a group has taken out, um, uh, I think it was 80-something at, at, at last count, uh, be- believers in Egypt already just this morning. Um, the, the news out of Syria, just horrible, terrible images. The, the dad's the thing the dad's carrying the kids man mess me up and I just I can't get past I still I just haunting images um, you know the dad's holding these two twins talking about these two two year old twins and he's burying them alongside twenty two other relatives what kind of person thinks that they can get away with dropping sarin gas on kids. The answer is the kind of person who thinks, like Psalm 10 says. The news came out, and Psalm 10 was my reading for the day. Psalm 10 says, oh, the wicked say, oh, God does not see. Let me promise you people, God sees. 
Let me promise you he sees. And in his heart is this churning, is this burning that says, and one day that is going to be made right. Now listen to me, it will be made right. Let's, let's put aside politics, let's put aside tomahawk missiles, put it, that, is, that, is, that is peanuts compared to what's coming. Jesus is going to back the truck up, and when it opens up, it is going to be a truckload full of divine beatdown on evil and wickedness like that. And you and I need to say amen to that. Part of the reason the world is the way that it is and our worlds are the way that they are is because we can't get righteously indignant about some stuff, and we need to be able to. So I'm talking about this with my workout partner. Here we are doing our thing, talking about international politics, right? And I say to him, and you know what this comes to mind? Because what immediately brought to mind when I saw those dads carrying those kids, what, what immediately brought to mind was Jesus saying, it is better for a millstone to be hung around your neck and you be thrown into the heart of the sea than that you bring this kind of evil upon little ones like this. And I said to my workout partner, can you imagine... Can you imagine that that's the better fate than what Jesus is going to bring? Like It's better for you to go like that than to face Jesus after committing such an atrocious act. We get done working out, driving home, clean up. Get, as I'm driving back to work, this is what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about that. And then how many of you saw, this? again, this is a stream of consciousness illustration. Just work with me here. Um, how many of you saw the late 90s movie Amistad? Anybody? Raise your hand real high if you saw it. It's about the slave trade. Uh, and in that, there's this one uh, just ugly scene where uh, the slave traders take a pile of rocks in a bag and shove it overboard, and it drags these people that they had captured as slaves over. And one of the terrible shots is from the water as these people. It's horrible, haunting. That, that action triggered that verse, and that verse triggered that memory. And that memory triggered the story of John Newton in my mind, who was a captain of a slave ship, who transported people from Africa to the New World, who, in the middle of his wickedness and in the middle of his uh, uh, perversity, in the middle of all that was evil that he was doing, Jesus reached down and rescued him. And he wrote this song. Maybe some of you have heard of it. First few, verses, uh, first few words go like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a nice guy. No, 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 no. That saved, I mean, I, I'm a savable kind of guy. Like, No, no. That saved what? A, a wretch. Like me. I once was lost, now I'm found. I'm blind, now I see. And as these events kind of unfolded over this block of time, as I'm thinking about that, I end with him, thinking about him and how God turned him from slave trader to pastor of Olney, where he wrote that great hymn in England. Thinking about a rescuing kind of love. Because listen, if God can rescue him, he can rescue you. 
If God has stepped out of, uh, 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 of the, the brokenness in the world, has stepped into the brokenness of the world and, and grabbed a hold of him, then he could grab a hold of you. Hey, I got good news. If Bashar al-Assad turns from his sin, repents, puts his trust in Jesus, guess what's going to happen? He's going to reach down and rescue him as well. There may be earthly consequences. There may be all sorts of things that happen, but you and I will meet him in heaven if that's the case. Let it be, Lord, let it be. If he can save those people, if he can rescue those people, good news, he can rescue you and me as well. I don't know if he can rescue me. You don't know about all the things that I have done. Now, you know, I struggle with other things. I don't have any um, chemical weapons. I don't have any slave trade, but I got other stuff. Listen, if he can deal with those things, he can deal with your stuff too. He is a God who is after the greatest need that we have, and that is a rescue and the wrath of God that is coming. Jesus will shield us from, and that's the the last thing. He rescues us by Jesus in verse 8, back up to verse 8. But God shows in his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, before we could do anything to earn it. Remember, it's a prior kind of love. Jesus died, don't miss this, for us. For us. God shows, don't miss this, two times. God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. He died in our place. It was our sin, but it was his death. It, it, was, it was our uh, uh, payment uh, that needed to be made, and he was the one with his life who paid it. He died in our place. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Our sins meant his death. And so God then makes us right. How? By faith in Jesus. Not by our earning, not by our religious works, not by any of those things. God makes us right by faith in Jesus. And listen, there are 10,000 ways that we could think about and rejoice in the love of God. Uh, has the weather been good this week? Glorious this week. Glorious this week. Build an $800,000 house and throw in some earthquakes, we'll call it San Diego. I mean, like, that's how good it is, right? And we go outside, we take it all in. Why? Because August is coming. Weather changes. Maybe you had a moment this week where you sat with your kid or with somebody else and you had a really tender moment, right? And then five minutes later, they're off and that, that moment is gone. Maybe there's some way that you specifically had this uh, uh, expression of mercy and you thought, this is the love of God to me, but now that, that, that expression is different or it's gone. Here's the thing. The reason why God uses the present tense word in verse 8, God shows, he demonstrates right in this very moment, 2017, Palm Sunday, he shows his love for us is so that when you and I either doubt the love of God or wonder if it's actually true, we don't have to worry about the weather or what circumstance or what our relationship is currently or something else. What do we do? We look at the cross of Jesus to say, oh, whoa, 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 I see that. He really does love me. He really does. God shows his love for us in this. And that while we were off the mark, Jesus died for us. He died for us. And, according to verse 9, when God unleashes his wrath on a wicked world, which he will, we will be saved from it. And how will we be saved from it? By Jesus. Read verse 9 one more time. Since, therefore, we have now been justified, we have been made right, by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. He won't tolerate injustice, injustice forever, um, and we will be saved when that wrath comes. Okay, lastly, it's, it's amazing that it was 
a prior kind of love before you could I, you or I could do anything right. And it's just unbelievable mercy to you and to me that uh, it is a rescuing kind of love. And listen to this. It is also, verses 10 and 11, a personal kind of love. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. He uses that word twice. So we were made right, but more. And so I don't want you to miss this. The justification of God, which he talked about in verse 9, uh, for, uh, uh, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. In other words, justification means we stand right before a righteous God. We are declared not guilty before the judge. Now, if you're guilty and you stand before the judge and the judge says, tell you what, not guilty because of Jesus. Everybody goes. Why does everybody do that? Let me just ask you this question. How far do you have to look over your shoulder to figure out that you were actually guilty? Five minutes. Five seconds. It's good to stand before the judge and say, and hear him say, not guilty. Justified means not guilty before the judge, but that's not the word he uses. In verse 10 and in verse 11, he uses this three times in, in these two verses. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled, skip down, now that we are reconciled at the end of verse 11, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation, if justification means not guilty before the judge, which is great news, reconciliation means we are welcomed by the Father, which is even greater news. So if you will, here we are in the courtroom, judge, not guilty, um, and we're like, oh, not guilty because of Jesus, yes and amen. And then the judge pulls off his robe, steps down from the bench, walks over and says, and son, daughter, welcome to my family. Justification means not guilty before the judge. Reconciliation means we're welcomed by the Father. There's a relational side of this, a personal side of this. And this is, um, it, it, is it, it demonstrates, if you will, his desire to have a personal relationship with all of us, every one of us. If you're hearing this today, I promise you, he has a, a burning hot desire to have a personal relationship with you. And it's always been this way. You think about Adam in the garden, Adam and Eve, what did they do? They walked with God. A few chapters later, Genesis chapter 5, strange little man named Enoch. He gets just this much press, but this is what it says. He knew God, and he walked with God, and then one day, he was not, because God took him. <laughs> How about that for an epitaph? He walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. You just, like they're walking along the road, doing whatever Enoch did, tending sheep or whatever, God's like, look, man, we're, we're done with all this earthly stuff, and just gone. He was not. Because God took him. Abraham speaks to God. And God speaks back. Count the stars, pal. You're going to have more descendants than that. Think about the sea on the seashore. Way more than that. Oh, wow. Relationship. Moses, when he'd go to the tabernacle, the Bible says in Exodus 33, he would speak to God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. King David was called what? The friend of God. He, he was called a man after God's own heart. 
on and on we could go. Um, we could just talk about this, but it's always been this way, that God, this um, desire and this, this willingness to reconcile us to him, not just be legally declared right before God, but made relationally right with God, this demonstrates his desire to have a personal relationship with us. Uh, and the prime example of that is Jesus. God in the flesh, relating to us, letting us see. So this is what I'll say. God, when we talk about a personal love, we talk about this, that God loves you. I know God loves us. No, 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 not us. God loves you. Well, he loves you. Not, Not the you that you wish you were. Not the you that you pretend to be. Not the you that you pledge to become. Not the you that you were, even. He loves you. As you are, you. I got baggage. He loves you. I got problems. He loves you. I I, I got stories that I don't think any... He loves you. I got troubles. He loves you. I barely have faith. He loves you. Whether you're trapped in some religious run around, or whether you are trapped in a rebellious lifestyle, he loves you. The absolute best thing that you could do is say yes to that. Yes to that love. Yes to, hey, um, you know, I've got all this stuff in me. Okay, God, but I hear you that you love me. Yes, because if God has a prior kind of love, if he has a rescuing kind of love, and if he has a personal kind of love, if you're in here this morning and maybe there's something between you and God, best thing you could do is to take that to him. Why? Because Jesus has already purchased and paid for that sin so that you can receive forgiveness that he'll offer us. If you're in here this morning and you've never put your trust in Jesus, the absolute best thing you could do is to bring all of your life to him and say, hey, I don't understand it all. I'm not sure I get it all, but here is what I have to offer to you, and here's what I'm going to give to you. You know what he'll do? He'll say, thank you. I love you. Let's, let's have this relationship. Let's, let's um, respond by turning from your sins and, and putting your trust in me, and when you do so, I'll make you right, and I'll wrap my arms of love around you. That's what he does. So I'm going to pray here in just a moment. And um, if you need to get settled, please feel free to go ahead and close up or turn off or whatever you need to do. Uh, Feel free to do that. But I want to pray and just give you a moment to reflect as well.